This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. I think every time I say, never, never again. No. <laughs> and then like the next day I start thinking, you know what race sounds cool. <laughs> Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff I've Never Told You. And today I am joined by guest co-host Allison Loudermilk. Hello, Allison. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Annie. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, and I'm delighted to have you. And you are going to talk about something that (laughs) both of us enjoy or um, big fans of can talk probably a lot about. And indeed we have. Indeed, we have. And that is running and the feminism of running. Yep. Yeah. So I I kind of feel like I'm a new kid to the block when it comes to running, which isn't totally true. But I feel like you have a lot more experience and a longer running career than I do. Well, I'm older than you, Annie, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. And also, I was just very shy for a long time about my body running. But anyway, could you tell us a little bit about your running career? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So growing up, I was kind of a team sports kind of girl. I played soccer, I played tennis, that kind of a thing. And then in college, I I didn't do any of those things. And I would sometimes go to the gym after I was, you know, just feeling like I needed to get off my lazy butt. And my senior year of college, it was fall, and I had a friend, and he was crazy about running. And we were really close, and he used to drag me out, like, every day after class, and I would— protest, um, but eventually I would get my butt down there. I remember the route perfectly, like most runners do. It was um, seared on my brain, I would say. It was like down 116th Street and down West End Ave and then all the way to the boathouse. I went to school in New York City. So it's about like a three-mile run, and he, we would do this run sometimes with other people, but almost always the two of us for sure. And he would not run with me, per se, Annie. <laughs> yeah. But he would run a couple paces in front of me. Oh. Uh. And he would just snicker at me. Like, it drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. But it also worked because I would try to catch up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this guy, this gentleman, he he kind of cemented my love of, of running back then. I mean, I did it, like, all the weeks of my fall semester, and then it just carried over. And sometimes, like, on a particularly joyous day, I will thank the universe, and I will thank, like, law. Shout out to you, Law, for college, senior year, for helping me become a runner. For a minute, I thought you were talking about, like, the, the law, the U.S., like, Constitution or something. That was a strange nickname, Thanks. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Law. <laughs> yeah. But um, today I run for myself. It's just become probably, like, for you and for our listeners, it's become part of who I am. I mean, I think about it all the time, like you were saying. I hear music in my head, and certain beats just make me want to run. Do mm-hmm. you have that? Oh, yeah. And I have— I. A particular song by Muse 
that I don't know why. Which one? Um, madness. Oh, yeah. I think I was running the electric run, and it's kind of this, like, neon light race. And it came on, and I, I don't know why, but I just took off. And every time I hear that song, I think of that. For a while, I ran without music. And now I look back onto that thinking, wow. Yeah, there, I think there are arguments to be made for both. I, I, I would agree. So I've basically run them all now. I mean, I've done 5Ks, halves, marathons. I tried my first triathlon this past September, and I loved it. It was so fun. Yes, it was awesome. I totally recommend it to anybody who's been thinking about it. It was a sprint. (laughs) Yeah, I've never done a a triathlon, but I'm I'm interested. I might pick your brain about that later. Um, For me, I think I've talked a little bit about some of this on the show I'm really privileged to run. I have the time and the money, and I can afford a decent pair of shoes. My legs are strong. A doctor once told me I had really strong quads and a runner's heartbeat, and I wanted to get that. Like I wanted him to write that out and get it framed because I've come a really long way. I I was out of shape as a child. I was very self conscious about my body and about the comments male classmates would make when I ran by them, and it sort of discouraged me from pursuing anything like that, which makes me really angry now because I was really competitive and I loved that stuff. Loved it. But they they sort of scared me away. And also, I, you know, when you're in that kind of awkward phase with your body, it was easy for them to sort of convince me, no, you should probably not do this. But it does, it makes me sad that I uh, didn't participate in that kind of stuff. But... Fast forward to college. Uh, I oh, started, college for you as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I that's started right. running to impress a guy. Um, it was really nerdy, actually, looking back, because they, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing that uh, some college campuses do. It's called Humans versus Zombies. I don't think so. I mean, I've heard of zombie runs, but... <laughs> that was my first race was a zombie run. But this is a, it's sort of a campus-wide game where everyone starts out as human and you're wearing this bandana around your arm that indicates that you're human. And um, on the first day, there's an original zombie, and he can pretend to be human, and he'll, like, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm the original zombie, you're a zombie now. And then you have to put your bandana around your head to indicate you are a zombie. You can throw marshmallows at zombies to stun them. Anyway, it involves a lot of running. (laughs) And there's this guy I really wanted to impress, that played it as well. And at the time, I could only run maybe 10, 10 to 30 seconds before getting winded. So I started training. I trained really hard. I did uphill sprints. I got pretty fast. Did not impress him at all. I bet if we contacted him, I think he lives in New York now, he would not know my name. <laughs> oh, I don't know. And you make an impression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Thank you. I'm not so sure, but uh, I appreciate it. And then after that, it, I started doing it to maintain a certain, like, body shape, and it got all tied up into an eating disorder, so I turned a healthy thing into an unhealthy thing. I've mentioned it before. I call it my um, coping mechanism gone wrong. (laughs) Um, But it is something that I love and something that I feel makes me... It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel confident when I go upstairs. I... I can't tell you how I feel. I feel like I've conquered the world, <laughs> which is kind of sad, but also kind of wonderful. Um, I never thought ever that I'd run a marathon, and um, I did. And sometimes I think it's easy to dismiss how hard you work to do those kinds of things, especially when you're in the running community. I don't know. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like running 26 miles is a lot. And I think I try to remind myself of that sometimes, especially when I um, I start to feel like I'm not that great of a runner. I'm like, well, you have done these things. I don't think, I think you should celebrate accomplishments where you can. I've done runs where I've seen things that are so beautiful. Like there's this one place that I run every morning. Um, and if you're lucky and there's a sunrise happening at the right time and the the way the wall curves, if there's no people there, it looks like you're running forever into the sunrise. And it's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> and I also have a lot of hilarious stories about races I've ended up in that I was not supposed to end up in. Like? like one um, was a kid's race, and all the children were dressed as elves. <laughs> <laughs> and I crossed the finish line with them. There's definitely pictures of me in those race photos. <laughs> I was just running my regular route. And then once I got stuck in a dog parade, uh, which is, it was objectively hilarious. I didn't think it was funny at the time. But looking back, that was really funny. Dogs. Why are you getting in the, in the way of my miles? I got some miles. I know. Dogs. And it was towards the end of my marathon training. So it was like mile 18. And then they're oh, all, you're in no mood at my. Yeah, I was not. I was not there for it. There's hundreds of dogs, Allison. <laughs> hundreds of dogs, and I'm trying to. Run. It was hot. Ah, oh, anyway, I'm sure it was very funny for the the people watching. But um, I I also love. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, I love how your thoughts can wander on long runs, and they. For me, I try to give myself a problem to solve, which is impossible to solve, like postmodern economic theory. But then I end up on something completely different, yeah. like some memory that you've totally forgotten. It's it's really, it's fascinating what the body, what <laughs> the things that your mind unearths when you're just in this sort of running mindset, running zone. I will say in my race this past Sunday, I did a half, and I noticed that I mean, I was pretty focused on achieving, like, a particular time. I just set myself a goal, and I hit it. Yay! Yeah! Um, and that's not the way I want to run all races, but this particular race was the way I went out. And I noticed I thought about running, like, the entire time, <laughs> and I never do that. You know, it's just this motion that your body takes for granted a lot of the time. But I thought of all of the pieces and, like, the things. Okay, you know, make sure you're doing this and you're doing that. And, you know, equal counts in and equal counts out with your breath and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And, um... It was it was actually very conscious running, which I appreciated, which I think trail runners can appreciate too. Right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You've got to pay more attention when you're trail running. And um, the times I've done, like my best times, have been times where I was focusing on the running part of it. Yeah, and the like, running part of the run. <laughs> yeah, not like postmodern economic theory, but the running part of it. I usually try to. Give myself a person, like, I'm going to pass you, then I'm going to pass you. I've heard that that's not the healthiest way to run, but it is good for keeping, giving yourself a goal to pass. Um, to I think they yourself. call it uh, going fishing, right? Yeah. Oh, do they? I think so, yeah. I think that's what I called it, and I don't know if I knew that. You reel some people in, yeah. Yeah, and then every now and then there's somebody you just can't catch, and it's, it's a real bummer. <laughs> and I will say here... For anyone who's, who's listening and is like, I'm not a runner, uh, I think you can, any sort of activity that you enjoy a lot, 
I would say that you, you'll probably be able to re- relate to a lot of this, but um, the the history of running, especially officially in races um, for women, does there is a lot of feminism involved, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you if you look at the case of Catherine Switzer, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon with an official number, here's a woman who had trained, who was qualified, but was not allowed to participate because she was a woman um, entering. She wasn't allowed to enter anyway, and she she was shoved and yelled at, and she still persisted, and she finished the race. In her words, she turned her fear and humiliation at being confronted like that into anger. And then when her serious boyfriend and uh, one, he was also one of her running crew blamed her for ruining his shot at the Olympics by getting him in trouble and told her that she ran too slowly anyway and he took off at a faster pace, made her feel like, in her words, just a girl. She kept going and she passed him by yes. far. Yes, she did. And that's sort of like feminism in a nutshell. It's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. That's a good reminder. Yeah. Because marathons are hard. They are hard. Uh, I was surprised at how eventually you reach a point where you think I could just keep running. But I did get to, like, I think mile 20 is what, it's what they say. And my, I was ready to be done. <laughs> I was just ready to be done. Um, Have you ever had that thought during the middle of a race? Like, hey, I should just call Uber. They can come pick me up. <laughs> I definitely have had that thought, yes. I have a friend who, she always jokes with me, why would I run when I could just walk? And I always joke back with her, why would you walk when you could just run? You could already be where you're trying to get. But I remember during the marathon, there was a point where I had all these questions. Why are you doing this? Why? And we're going to talk about that later, actually, the reason uh, why women run, the reasons why. Um, And it does feel kind of like a feminist act because... When I'm running, at least, a lot of times I can't help but think about all of those running tips that I've mentioned before on the show uh, for women about how not to be murdered as compared to tips for men, which are eat a protein bar at this time, like tips to improve performance as opposed to tips to survive your being in a public space. Um, And it just, it feels like, I don't want to say rebellious. It just there's something about it of being unsupervised in a public space, which should be totally fine. But hearing those tips, it reminds you that for a lot of women, it still isn't, um, and that's that's not the way it should be. And I think by the more the more women out there participating in this activity, I'm hoping that that is changing. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we were all reminded this summer with Molly Tibbetts. And when she, she was the 18-year-old runner out of um, Iowa, and this happened this past summer. She went out for a run in her neighborhood. She died. She was murdered when she was running. I think she was being harassed first, and then, you know, she threatened to call the police, and uh, the guy killed her. And there was a big search for her, and, um, you know, it just reminded all the female runners out there that this is a thing. You know, it's in, and, you know, you think, well, it can happen to me, but it can um, and so it just makes you think. In 2016, there were three female runners who were uh, murdered, I think it was in August, uh, that same summer. And so Runners World, in the wake of that, they, uh, they conducted this survey in 2017. And they found that 43% of women had been harassed while running. 
not surprising. I'm actually surprised it's not higher. And the number rose to 58% for women under 30. Um, for men, about 4% of men reported the same. Yeah, um, that's definitely That's something. a big disparity. That is a huge disparity. Yeah, and I, I just, those tips, again, I think about them all the time because I know two of them off the top of my head. One was uh, never wear a ponytail, which, of course, you're going to want to wear a ponytail because you don't want your hair to get in your way. And then the other was never, like, have headphones, which, again, for a lot of us, the music is a good motivator. You can set the beats per minute to make sure that you're hitting the pace that you want. Um, just these basic things that should be totally fine for female runners that we're being told are not fine. I'd be curious to hear what uh, other uh, listeners do when they go out for a run. If they heed some of these or if they have their own methods of dealing with situations or, you know, I mean, I cheat the system. I usually wear one uh, headphone mm-hmm. hooked in. Uh-huh. So I'm like, oh, I got an ear out. Sure, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side, I don't wear my glasses, so I'm not going to be able to see Jack. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Okay. I definitely, I keep both of mine in, I have one ear that's really bad, so I guess it's pointless, but I did have a woman recently, a woman, like, get in my face and start yelling at me, um, telling me that I should not be running with headphones, that it was not safe, and didn't I realize how unsafe it was, and it kind of surprised me. She was yelling. What was the situation? I I was just running. um, It wasn't dark yet but it was getting dark and she just sort of wandered into my my path and I thought um you know she'll she'll move I'm running I can go around her but she was loud and persistent and yeah she just told me it wasn't safe to be running with headphones in I don't know I don't know and we did talk about sexual harassment females female runners often face in our update on the history of women running races. And it's strange because running is a powerful thing physically and mentally, but at the same time, there is this vulnerability for women and non-binary folks, this kind of specter on your back. It it reminds me of, I was telling you how a while ago I, I read that the number one nightmare women have, I think it's tied with falling, is being chased and like running from something. Um, which is just interesting. And, and when I was thinking about this, I forgot about the scene in The Handmaid's Tale, the show, when in a flashback it shows June slash Alfred running with her friend and all of the people glowering at them like, you are not supposed to be here. That's not something you should be doing. Yeah, running is powerful. Yeah. I mean, in theory, it offers people, runners, this freedom to move about in society. I mean, because we're just relying on the power of our bodies. It's a beautiful thing. Except that freedom is still limited for, um, you know, non-binary and and, uh, female runners, especially at four in the morning, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yep. (laughs) You know, when you need to, say, squeeze in nine miles before your work to stay on track for your race training. Mm -hmm. And you don't feel comfortable running outside, so maybe you go to one of those, like, 24-hour gyms. Or maybe you can run outside, but you don't feel comfortable doing so. I've definitely done some dumb stuff in the name of trying to squeeze some miles in. Have you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) I also, I once, it's kind of infamous in my friend group, but the night Donald Trump, the election, I I always thought, this sounds so weird. I was pretty sure he was going to win. 
And it was looking more and more that way. And at like 4 a.m., I went on a like long serious? run. Yeah, and I was like crying. I'd had beer to drink. I was tipsy. Coping mechanism gone wrong, I'm telling you. But yes, yes, I have done foolish things is the point of that. But here's the thing. I mean, why can't the dumb thing be attacking a runner? It should be, and it is. But yeah, societally, it's still like blaming, victim blaming. And another thing that's part of this is uh, the way women dress and the sexualization of the female body, something that comes up all the time in her episodes. And a listener recently sent us this message about her high school track and field team and how they got in, in trouble for running in sports bras. And I wanted to read it. It made me so angry. One of the ways the program ran at my school was to have a voluntary practices during summertime. She was on a track and field, I think. Our coach would set up a morning and evening practice in order to make it easier, easier for us to show up to one of them. During my sophomore year, it was extremely hot summer. I remember temperatures getting to the mid-90s, lots of humidity, and even passing out a few times during my workout because of the heat. Wow. Basically, if I didn't run in the morning, I would get dizzy or dehydrated during the afternoon run. To help stay a little cooler on our longer runs, which sometimes got up to around 10 miles, the boys would take off their shirts and the girls' team would run in spandex and sports bras. I wasn't super comfortable when we were running in little clothing, but we were always in a group of four, about four. Plus, I was so overheated that it felt nice not to have baggy shirts dripping with sweat. As expected, we were catcalled and heckled by male drivers passing by. Our head coach, who was a male, even started running with us or would drive along the route in his car to make sure we were okay. I never felt unsafe while the team was running. One day, when we were getting ready to leave for our main run, our coach informed us that the town council had received complaints from various individuals in her neighborhood that it was inappropriate for a high school girls sports team to be running around the town half naked. The town council went out of their way to contact the school, making it a rule that the girls' cross-country team couldn't run in sports bras. Was there a complaint filed against the boys' team? No. We were all so frustrated and outraged that people were making such a big deal about our running attire, yet didn't care that our male counterparts were legit topless running through town. As a small way to rebel, our team captain started the habit of going on our runs with our t-shirts on, and then as soon as we were out of sight of our coach, would hide our shirts in a bush to get back before ending the run. What bothered me the most about the complaints was that if I was running by myself in a sports bra, people would not have been able to file a complaint. However, because we were a group of girls trained together for a sport, unofficially I might add, people were outraged. The school and town framed the rule of no running in just sports bras as a way to keep us safe and keep the town classy, just a typical way to tell us it is all our fault, blame actions men took on women based off the way a woman is dressed and showing an unfair standards set for women athletes. At the time, our girls' team was county champions, while the boys' team almost never had enough bodies to man an entire team. Yeah, so even though running feels to me like a feminist act because it offers me and you listeners and Annie and everyone who has ever run a mile, it offers the ultimate control over our bodies. There's still these limitations on the act of women running, be it on how we dress or when and where we put in our miles. Yeah, but despite all of that, there are more women running than ever. And we're going to get into that and reasons why. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break word from our sponsor. 
episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code Mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So yeah, despite all of this nonsense women kind of have to deal with around running, more women than ever are running races. Rawr. (laughs) For a long time, even after women were actually allowed to race, it was seen as more of a male space. As of 2017, though, 57% of the 17 million American race finishers were women. That is a fantastic stat. That is. (laughs) The sea change of women in the running world got started in 1995, the year after Oprah ran the Marine Corps Marathon. Ambie Burfoot, who worked at Runner's World, got a call from Race for the Cure, which was a newish road race series targeted towards women with the primary goal of raising money for research around breast cancer research. One of their races in the Midwest had 10,000 female runners registered. In Burfoot's words, quote, we were Runner's World, and we were completely unaware that there was this tidal wave. At the time, Men accounted for 68% of race finishers, but women finishers overtook male finishers by 2010. Annie. Yes. Can I ask you a very serious question? Yes. When was your first marathon? (laughs) Was it post-Oprah, I'm assuming? (laughs) It was post-Oprah. I didn't know she ran one until doing this research, actually. Um, I love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I do, too. It definitely opened up, I think, 
the idea that more people could run a marathon, I think it made it more accessible, or at least it seemed more accessible to people. Anyway, uh, I, I will say that in this office, a lot of people run. I feel like a lot of people run. In this Shout office. out to you, Will Pearson. <laughs> yes, a part-time genius. Um, and when I first started, it was thanks to you in part, Allison, and uh, it made it feel more accessible to me having people in my orbit that ran these races. And I, I had this goal of running a half. I never thought I'd run a, a full, but I ran my first full two years ago, and it was the Walt Disney World Marathon. And I had just injured. I had um, runner's knee. That was your first? I didn't realize that was your first. That was my first full marathon, yeah. Um, and I, I'm i really angry about it, actually. It, it's just the, the luck of the draw. It's how things work out. But I had just been on this really long cruise. And training for a marathon on a long cruise, not easy. And we so the cruise docked in Florida, and we went from there to run the race. Huh. <laughs> and... Um, it, there was a cold snap, which no one was prepared for. The race officials certainly weren't prepared for it. It was 11 degrees, I think, in Florida. It was really cold. And my gummies, I use gummies for energy. Oh, yeah, me too. They were frozen at mile six when I went to eat them. They were frozen solid. <laughs> so it was just like uh, not the ideal. Sometimes it doesn't all come together. It, oh, definitely, definitely. How about you, Allison? When was your first? Mine was Marine Corps, and it was October 2001. I was in my 20s, Mm -hmm. and I just I did it because, I honestly don't know. I think I just did it because I I wanted it to be something I had done, right? You know, just one of those things like, I ran a marathon. Yeah, bucket Um, list type thing. Yeah, exactly. And then I got hooked, as most of us do. (laughs) I crossed that finish line, and I immediately started thinking, I wonder what my next race is going to be. It's so funny you say that because I I feel like I'm not that big of a race runner, but every time I run a race at the end, I'm pretty sure I'm not exaggerating. I think every time I say, never, never again. <laughs> no. And then like the next day I start thinking, you know what race sounds cool? <laughs> it's just <laughs> how quickly the mind shifts and is like, you know... I think it might be cool if you did this one. As we record this, um, I'm about to go do um, Wine and Dine at Disney, which is a half. So Sounds like such a good one. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. You get to run through all of the, the parks. And um, at the end, there's all the whining and dining you could wish for. Uh, Holly Fry of Stuff You Missed in History Class is definitely the one who got me, she's the one that really got me to run a, a half. And then she is like continued to be like, you know which one you should do? This other Disney one that I love. Yeah, Holly is amazing. She's done so many of those races. I'm such a dork. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I feel like we're talking about like your first kiss or something. We're like, my first race was this. <laughs> and by the way, we would love to hear stories of your first races. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and... If we if we take a step back and we look at why women for so long were discouraged from running, uh, one of the main reasons given to women was health. 
it's it's not good for you to run long races or races at all. And it, it was sort of like a benign sexism thing of, you know, we're trying to protect you. And as a matter of fact, as of this recording, one of the top autofill search results on Google when I was researching this was running bad for female sex organs. So that was one of the things that for a long time was used to keep women out of races. And if you did run a race, somebody would have to run behind you because they would try to they would have to catch your uterus as it fell out. Yes. <laughs> That's what they thought. And I mean, we probably it probably goes without saying, but generally this is not the case. Uh, not the uterus falling out thing, but just like it's not uh bad for female sex organs in general. I I'm not a doctor, but just play one on TV. <laughs> Just play one in podcast. <laughs> uh, most studies looking into runners, how to improve um, the health of running. Uh, all the study participants until recently have been men or mostly men. So a lot of things I've read, and I've been reading up a lot about this lately because I of runner's knee and all that stuff, uh, advise you to take any running advice that involves a study with a grain of salt if you're a woman or non-binary, just because our bodies are different and there isn't that much science as of yet looking into looking into that. And as we've discussed before, some science does show that women are better endurance runners and that this might even improve after giving birth. And since I've never done that thing, I thought maybe you could speak to your experience, Allison. I have. I have done that thing. <laughs> So I actually ran Chicago while I was pregnant with my first child. Ooh. Wow, how was that? <laughs> well, Annie, that wasn't the plan exactly. I had this original plan uh, to really go for it at Chicago. I was, of course, like seeing if I could get a Boston qualifier. I hope to someday still, don't we all? Um, except a few days before Chicago, I uh, hadn't gotten my period. And my female training buddy and very good friend was like, maybe you should just, you know, see if you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah, you know. And um, sure enough, I was. Uh, and I did Chicago. Anyway, uh-huh. I just, I mean, I really just tried to rein it in a little bit. That was more than 11 years ago. And the little bean in my belly turned out to be my 11-year-old daughter. And uh, I hope a future runner. I like to joke with her that she's already run a marathon. <laughs> oh, man, that's lucky. <laughs> She's already got one under her belt. Yeah, I never really considered not doing Chicago, even after I found out I was pregnant. Um, but I do remember that there is a lack of solid evidence on whether running marathon was okay, how much mileage was okay, that kind of thing. So I just winged it. And uh, most of us have done that, and I, uh, I tried to listen to my body. Um, and in fact, it's gotten, the, the field has sort of advanced a little bit in that knowledge and running while pregnant, assuming there are no complicating factors like, you know, gestational diabetes, running while pregnant is perfectly fine, assuming you can find a bathroom on your route. <laughs> mm. And um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they recommend 20 to 30 minutes a day. I saw estimates of up to an hour. I think the important thing, again, is just to listen to your body, not to do like crazy pushing yourself and um, get out there. This is my favorite, Annie. I love this so, so much. There are these stories of women, and I guess uh, runners who run every day are called streakers. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, Annie, or, or listeners. Um, so they have these running streaks that they are unwilling to break. So they will run actually on the day of their delivery, and they have been known to run in the hospital doing laps. Whoa. Yeah. That's some, 
that's some dedication right there. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. For many moms, running is a way to just stay sane and relieve stress. Um, it's, it helps to connect with a part of their, like, pre-parenting former selves. I mean, and it also helps to be an active, positive example for their kids. This is active, like, taking control over their bodies again. And post-pregnancy, body changes. Mm-hmm. That first run can be, like, so freaking powerful. I mean, I remember it sent the running fire just, like, coursing through my veins again. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this powerful reminder of my former self, and it felt great, uh, especially since it was post-major surgery, the first I've ever had. I mean, it was C-section. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was such a good way to connect to the person I was and the person I would be and to, like, you know, make those two selves meet. Um, and then, of course, once you have a child, you can go out for a walk or a run with your new baby and stay sane because <laughs> it's a really, it's really nice to get out of the house when you have a new baby. So... For those who can afford them, this is where the jogging stroller can come, like become a real lifeline. Um, but again, kind of looking at how races frame things, a lot of races don't allow for jogging strollers, and sometimes you even have to pay extra or register your kid. What? I was like, I've never heard that. They pay to register your kid? Yeah, like the person in the stroller. Also, shout out to the biceps of the women pushing those jogging strollers. They are amazing. Yeah, every time someone passes me with a jogging stroller... I'm super annoyed, but then I'm very impressed. It's it's a <laughs> a mix of emotions. Have you have you ever dropped out of a race? No, I have you? I haven't either. Um, when we did the update on running, we were talking about how the Boston Marathon this year was so terrible. The conditions were so terrible, and how more men than women dropped out, and how that has to do with a couple of things. They think, but one is adjusting like goals and I guess the men competitors that dropped out said they dropped out because they weren't going to meet a certain time that they had given themselves but women were more able to adjust that time based on the the poor conditions Uh, I have never dropped out but I did break my ankle running a a trail race uh, at mile six and it was a half marathon and I finished the race and I worked for two days after that, until I could no longer fit my foot oh my in my gosh, shoe. Annie. And I was like, well, this might be a problem. And my mom came in and she did the best, like, <gasps> gasp. And she said, get in the car. <laughs> and I still pay the price for that. Like, I can't sleep. I can only sleep in one position. My friends call it dead bird because <laughs> I have to hang my foot off the, the bed. Um, so... No shame at all if you've ever had to drop out of a race. Um, oh, absolutely definitely, not. Like, which, going back to what you were saying, listening to your body, um, I'm, I'm really bad about, and this is probably definitely why I have runner's knee and plantar fasciitis. I'm really bad about doing that. And I'm bad about even, like, you can start walking, you can stop and stretch. I'm bad about all of those things. I am too. But they are good things to do, especially if you want to keep running and you want to push your performance. It feels like a step back, but it's not. It's part of your training. You're absolutely right. We all want to run for as long as we possibly can. I mean, I want to be 80 and like have one of those sweatpants and be like (laughs) shuffling along. I love, love, love those people. Like love Mm -hmm. them. Um, And so taking the longer view and being smart is absolutely the thing to do. And it's a good reminder. Yeah. And this brings us to races and sexism in races. 
Uh, because there are a lot of minor things. Um, it, well, they seem minor, I don't know, in races that do reinforce this idea that the default racer is male. And because of that, part of that, that women don't belong. And I do think that the perception is that the male winner of a race is the real winner and, like, the men's marathon at the Olympics is the real marathon. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what closes the the Olympics is the male marathon. And the female marathon happens at the midpoint. I think so. Okay. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> it, seems, it seems logical. It seems believable. Um, if we look at race directors, the, the makeup of race runners skews female now, but that isn't reflected in the leadership the IAAF, which is the International Track and Field's governing body, has an election just for getting one woman on their council. Most major marathons are directed by men. And this brings us to another point that is near and dear to my heart. The shirts. The shirts. The unisex shirt. Because, let's be real, unisex shirts aren't unisex. In a lot of races I've run, you can pay more to get a woman's cut shirt. But the message Again, is that, yeah, we didn't plan this race with you in mind. And not to hammer this home, but yeah, to hammer this home, more women are running races now than men. It would be different if, I don't know, only like four women were running. Okay. But it's probably over half of the racers are are women. I like to think of myself as a rare unicorn, but (laughs) female runners are not rare unicorns, in fact. No, alas, alas. Well, I guess it's for the best, but it would be nice <laughs> to think of yourself as a rare unicorn. I the for the Atlanta Peachtree Road Race, the the medal is a shirt. You can only get it, or you're supposed to only get it once you cross that finish line. I kind of love that. I do too, but it's it's unisex, and the sleeves always look so dumb and boxy on me that I cut them off. And it, you would be surprised how many people see me running around the city, and how many women stop me and say, I never thought of doing that. That's so smart. Because we all... They don't fit right. They don't fit. And it's it's frustrating because it is the trophy. And I hate to think of people not wearing it because <laughs> it doesn't look good. Yeah, those running shirts, I mean, I'm like the size of a 12-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, like... They're huge. <laughs> they're so big. Yes. I mean, and like like I have one for the New York City Marathon. Like, I will never give that thing away, but I swear to God, it goes down to my ankles. <laughs> it's so big. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing, too. Um, and something else that we wanted to talk about is female-only races. Yeah. There are female-only races. Um, from what I can tell, most of them do allow male runners. But the San Francisco, uh, there's a San Francisco Nike one, I think. Yes, yeah, there is. Have you done that one? I have not done that one. But I think that it's a much smaller population. But I, I think um, for most of those female-only races, some men are allowed to run. I know some of them, no men are allowed to run. And it's this whole idea is sort of similar to what we talked about in our gym intimidation episode. Um, they can be safe spaces for bringing people in who are self-conscious or maybe maybe like a good foot in to to start running other races. But they also are very stereotypical. Um, like at the maybe you cross the finish line, a lot of them offer like chocolate and champagne. The first half marathon I ever ran was the Disney Princess Half, which is majority women. And 
uh, it did give me a kind of a strange feeling. Like it's all pink branded when you cross, like glitter goes up and they like do a wand over your shoulder and you're a princess, I guess. It was fun. Congrats, Annie. (laughs) This whole episode was to get you to congratulate me about my (laughs) first half marathon. (laughs) All right, I guess that's the end now. No, it was a really fun race, but it did give me a strange feeling. And uh, when you look at the history, that's what made it kind of even stranger because the first female-only race in the United States took place in 1972 in New York, and it was called the Crazy Legs New York Mini Marathon, and it was a six-mile race named for miniskirts. And it featured Playboy bunnies at the start. That's crazy. Yeah. and I, Crazy for the crazy. <laughs> crazy legs. I believe it still takes place, but it's called the New York Mini. But then Catherine Switzer launched the Avon International Running Circuit, and the goal was to debunk myths about what would happen to women if they ran, that their uterus would fall out, for instance, and to give women more spaces to run. But now, women-only races seem to reinforce stereotypes about women. So it's just kind of a weird space. I'm not against them necessarily, but I do think we should take a look at the messaging around them. Yeah, I did a try, like I was saying in the intro, and I really enjoyed it, and it was women-only, and I felt like it was a very safe space for me to just give it a shot, give it a try, ha-ha. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, of course, it was a pink shirt. Uh, and course. I was like, I don't, but I mean, I had to keep it because it's my first try. Uh, right. So I'm not going to give that thing away. But I was, I was like, really? A pink shirt? I mean, that's the best you could do. Um, but I did, I did feel as though it made me brave. And I don't know that I would have gotten in the water as willingly uh, for the swim, like with women and men, like crashing and splashing through there. Yeah. Yeah. And I completely get that. And like I said in our gym episode, for a lot of women, I guess the what the anxiety is, I get why we need them. I wish that we didn't need them, but I get why we need them. And so, yeah, I, I it's more of the messaging around it, I think. Fair enough. That we should look into. But uh, this brings us to probably one of our favorite aspects of running, community and intersectionality of it. But first, it brings us to one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Chinet. The Chinet brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever, especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers in traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow product that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. 
They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with community, the community aspect of running. Because if you compare the number of female runners to the the number of women in other endurance sports, like cycling or competitive swimming, it is no contest. Running edges them out by far. So edges is not the correct word. It's way, there's way more women participating in running. And when trying to pinpoint the reason behind that, the one reason that comes up the most often is it's easier to turn running into a social and community-forming activity. And I on I also think it's because it's easier because um, all you need is a pair of shoes and a place to run. But a lot of women report that the social aspect of running is more important to them than the competitive aspect. And you can find story after story of women uplifting other racers. Yes. Can I tell you some of those? Please do. Okay. So as you guys know, I just did one uh, on Sunday. I was talking about that. I did a half. And um, I, I agree. I think that within the running community, yes, definitely we all like to talk and we all like to hang out. And there's uh, great like social aspects of it. I mean, Annie, I know you don't tend to run with other runners, but you're missing out because the running conversation allows you with your running buddy not to look at them and just to have this conversation where you can totally just spill it. <laughs> I mean, I spill it on some of these runs. And I think it's like, you know, you'll be running in the early morning. And it, I just like the act of running and talking, it's it's really cathartic. Yeah, j- just so listeners know, I'm kind of a, a, <laughs> I'm a lone wolf. <laughs> I'm a oh. lone wolf runner. I um, am very bad about running with partners. But, I mean, I, I do have the community aspect almost outside of running, if that makes sense, like friend runners that are runners that are friends and we talk about running. We could, I mean, Allison and I could talk about running all day. We won't, but <laughs> we, we sort could. of already have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, you have this experience with the community and having that while running. Yeah. So I finished my race this past Sunday and the first thing I did was I went up to this woman and she was wearing a blue shirt because that's all I know about her. And she'd finished just ahead of me. And I went up to her and I thanked her because I paced off of her for the last few miles. I was tracking her and it was exactly like you were saying. You know, you try to hang on to the person in front and just let them pace you. And I couldn't catch her. And so because of how strong she was, I got to the finish line and I I made a PR. And so awesome. I'm so psyched about this PR. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats. Um, But before I could even get to her, this blue-shirted woman who I wanted to thank, this other woman comes up to me and she's like, hey, thank you. And I was like, what? Thank you for what? She said, oh, well, I tried to catch you, but I couldn't, and I paced off of you. So there is this whole, like, chain going on. 
And I was surprised. Uh, And so, you know, I immediately paid it forward to the blue-shirted woman. And it's totally anecdotal, and I get that. But I don't think guys are doing that. And I wonder what listener experience is in these situations. Yeah, yeah, we would love to hear from uh, any other runners about uh, what kind of community you've experienced while running. So Desiree Linden, this year's Boston Marathon winner, she totally illustrates the power of the female running community. Um, As we were talking about, the conditions for Boston this year were particularly horrible. It was cold. There were these icy sheets of rain that were pelting you. Um, I was told that you, by the time you got to the starting line, your sneakers were already wet. So some, you know, smart runners brought a second pair of shoes. So they weren't like running in soggy shoes to start off. But a lot of people just had soggy shoes. Mm. So anyway, Desiree told the New York Times that she wasn't sure she'd finish. So she said to uh, her fellow American runner, Shalane Flanagan, you know, let me know if you need anything like, you know, I don't know, say some shielding from the wind and I'll do it before I drop out. So Flanagan says, well, you know, I got to pee. And Lyndon says, cool, I'll help you get back in the pack when you're done. First of all, I can't even believe that they can run those things so fast and use a bathroom at the same time. Like, that's amazing. It is. So Lyndon helps Flanagan get back in the pack. Uh, Long story short, Flanagan gets tired. Lyndon keeps trucking. Lyndon prevails. (laughs) She totally, you know, she just prevails in these icy conditions and she wins. And she says, quote, if it hadn't been difficult, it probably wouldn't have meant as much. Yeah. I mean, so it was a terrible, it was a terrible, terrible marathon. And she stopped to help her buddies, and she still won it. And I just love this story. Like, love it. Yeah. So I had another great story about Flanagan, who, uh, coincidentally, she was the first American woman to win the New York City Marathon in 40 years. Wow. And she has, a, she's done a lot for uh, competitive women's running. She's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So anyway, she went in 2017, and uh, she was training for the 2016 Olympic trials with this woman, Amy Craig, also a competitive runner. So according to this story I read, Craig and Flanagan are running. They're stride for stride, running in the Olympic trials. And Flanagan starts to fade. And Craig, as opposed to shooting off ahead and being like, see you later. I mean, after all, this is the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Craig slows down with her. She goes, she gets Flanagan water, which is, I mean— at that point in the race and at that, like, crazy level, you are conserving every single bit of energy. Yeah. But she goes and she gets her running buddy, water. Flanagan makes it to the finish line. She qualifies. Totally debatable if she could have done that by herself. And I just, like, I love that. I mean, I love that community. I love that, like, I mean, I want a PR. I want to get in the Olympic trials, but I'm, I'm still going to stop to help you. Like, it's just, I, I love these stories. Um. For me, I had a female running buddy who pretty much dragged me over the uh, last seven miles of my last marathon. Unlike you, Annie, who crashed at 20, I hit the big bonk at mile 19 um, at my last marathon. And she was there. She got me to finish. She tried everything. I mean, she was like, I'll talk about, you know, I'll I'll play pit bull for you. Here are some pretzels. Let me tell you about my home renovation. Like, she tried it all. (laughs) She was massaging my calf at one point. I mean— but she got me there, and there's no way that I would have been able to do it without her. No way. Yeah, those are those stories are really beautiful um, because it is such a competitive. It can be such a competitive thing, and these these stories that you're sharing, they are. But it's still so important to to uplift other competitors and other female runners, and that is that's really lovely. Yeah, I mean, you elevate yourself and you elevate 
the the runners among you. It's nice. Yeah. I like it. And I do think it's a more rewarding experience that way. I once <laughs> somebody I think defensively he was trying to feel better about himself, but he told me um that I was being very selfish by running. And running is a selfish activity, but like looking back at it, you can be selfish and it's a healthy activity. But it, you can also do things like this that are not selfish at all. And for a lot of people, people run for charities. People run to raise awareness about, about other things. Um, and most of my friends, <laughs> for any listeners who, who are listening to this, like, oh, I hate running. I'm never going to run. Most of my friends are that. And <laughs> they still are very supportive, though. And just knowing that they're waiting at the finish line totally. with a cup of coffee, whatever it is, it it really motivates it. I think most people, but for sure me, knowing that there are people there that are just cheering you on and whatever time you get, they they just are happy that you finished. Yeah, my husband has always been super, super supportive. Um, you know, whenever I say like, I got to go out for a run or maybe he'll suggest that, hey, I think you, do you, you want to go get some miles? I'm like, yes, I need to do that because it just, I mean, it helps me. It mm-hmm. really helps me in my head and my body. Yeah. I, for a while I was doing, I now I'm a almost exclusively morning runner, but for a while I was doing evening runs and um, I'd get like the runner's high so much, I'd shoot off all these work emails. And I found out later that people thought I was getting drunk after work <laughs> and emailing them. No, I was running. I was not drunk. <laughs> um, and one thing we should say, running can be, and currently largely still is, a very white, privileged Western thing. And on the show, we've spoken before about Black Girls Run, which is a great organization looking to diversify running in the United States. Catherine Switzer has an organi- organization called 261 Fearless, named after her bib number. That's it's so great. I know. And it, that its mission is to, quote, create a global community for women runners of all abilities to support, encourage, and inspire each other towards a positive sense of self and fearlessness. 261 Fearless Clubs can be found currently on three continents, and there will be more soon. Nice. There's also Girls on the Run. That's a big one. At, there's a chapter at my daughter's middle school, and they have programs all over the U.S., and they're for third through eighth grade girls, and the goal is really inclusion. They also teach girls to be confident about themselves and reach their potential while incorporating running games and, of course, a 5K race at the end. Of course. Uh, I think it's awesome. It was started by Molly Barker back in 1996, and uh, Barker is an Ironman triathlete. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they, like we were kind of alluding to, there are running groups for charities, for rock vets, for homeless women, all kinds of things. So if running is something you're interested in but have been intimidated by, we hope that this inspires you to check it out. Uh, I know a lot of you listeners listen to the show while you run, so maybe hello during mid-run. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But for those that maybe have been like I was when I was younger, turned away by it because you were self-conscious or whatever it might be. Um, Hopefully that this might encourage you to go see if you can find a community that will support you. And I bet there is one out there that will. Absolutely. Um, Or whatever that activity might be. It doesn't have to be running. But I think 
that any anything you can find that community in is is a great thing. And like I said, <laughs> I, I'll be real. I hated running for a long time. I hated it. <laughs> I'd get winded so quickly. I felt gross, just embarrassed. It feels kind of ungainly. Yes, because at first you feel like you should be taking longer strides. But actually you take kind of these small stumbly strides, mm-hmm. or at least that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it feels powerful once you get in your stride. But at first, especially, I mean, even to this day, if I start thinking about my stride, I feel a little silly. <laughs> But um, it it can be so rewarding. And um, since it's Halloween, I want to shout out uh, an app called Zombies Run. Yes. Have you played that? I haven't. I've been wanting to. It's this app. Um, there's a free version and a paid version. But it, it, basically every run is like a mission and you're running from zombies. And it's really cool. Um it, it's like in your there's a zombie five feet behind you. It it's it can really improve your running if you're looking for something to spice it up. And my first five k was the the zombie run one, and it was a mud run. It wasn't supposed to be, but it turned into a complete mud run. And within a minute, Allison, I lost my shoe. <laughs> And I had to run the race with only one shoe. The mud just sucked it up. It was like a never-ending story when he's in that the swamp of depression. It just ate my shoe. I've never seen it again to this day. <laughs> but I, I finished. It was a mud run, so everybody finished like a 5K in over an hour. But I was in the top 20. Yeah, you were, Annie. With one shoe. <laughs> And this was assuming not the same race where you broke your ankle. Not, no. Nope. You have had some adventures out there, my friend. I, yep. Uh, and then I went to Red Lobster with one shoe on. It was an interesting day. And you too can have those interesting experiences, is what we're saying. Hopefully, if you're interested, then we haven't scared you away. Yeah, it's just a habit. Nobody's born a runner. You just get out there and you make it a habit and you do it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to. If you want to, for sure. And... So in conclusion, in a lot of ways, this whole feminism thing is like running a marathon. It's painful and a test of endurance and strength and patience. There's camaraderie. It might make you cry. You might want to give up. But don't. But don't. Yeah, just keep going. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Allison. That was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it, Annie. And thank you, Sminty listeners, for listening. Yes. Um, and feel free to... Pitch me any other ideas. Come back anytime. For you listeners, please feel free to write in any of your running experiences. Um, even if you don't, if you hate running and you never want to hear about it again, I understand. Uh, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. What if I told you that UFOs, haunted houses, and even inexplicable magic tricks are all caused by the same creature? And what if I told you these powerful and ancient beings are meant to be feared? The Hidden Jinn, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Mankey's Grim and Mild. 
explores the legends of these ancient and terrifying creatures. Join me, Rabia Chaudhary, as we step into the world of the hidden jinn. Listen to The Hidden Jinn on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.